Good afternoon. You're listening to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, February 28th, last day of February. After days of impassioned testimony, the Alaska Board of Fisheries voted to change escapement goals for Chignik's early and late sockeye runs. These have been severely depleted for years, but the fisheries management will keep an important precedent. As KBBI's Corinne Smith reports, the board voted against the Department of Fish and Game's proposed changes, siding with Chignik fishermen. At last week's meeting, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game proposed combining the escapement goals for Chignik's early and late sockeye runs. But the Board of Fisheries voted to maintain the two separate goals. Escapement is the number of fish that make it to their spawning grounds. Many Chignik residents and fishermen testified against the proposal. Some, like commercial fisherman Axel Copen, worried that it would harm biodiversity and hurt the stocks in the long term. The department has also failed to model the possible negative effects of these drastic changes and the impact it will have on the genetic diversity, subsistence, and commercial fishermen of the Chignik area. This process has been, not been open and transparent, nor peer-reviewed, as good science must be. Chignik's runs crashed in 2018 and have been extremely low since then. The state designated Chignik's early sockeye run as a stock of concern last spring. The department says the single goal could allow fishermen to harvest more fish sustainably. But that claim came under scrutiny during public testimony. University of Washington fisheries professor Dan Schindler. There is zero scientific basis for supporting 105. He says the runs are independent of each other and should be managed as such, especially since one is a stock of concern. You run the risk of preventing recovery of that early run. So you may have interim within-season escapement objectives, but without accountability, which is what occurred when you had a, an early run escapement goal that was explicit, you do run the risk of over-harvesting that early stock. During board deliberations, Fish and Game Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang said the department's review shows that a single escapement goal would allow fishermen to maximize how many fish they can sustainably harvest. I'm convinced the single escapement goal meets our obligations as a department to maximize yield. Um, and I think we can manage discrete stocks. We do it in the Copper River, we do it in other drainages using single escapement goals. So. I stand by the staff's decision to have a single escapement goal. Vincent Lang said the escapement goals proposed by the board probably won't allow for the largest sustainable harvest possible. But board chair Merritt Carlson Van Dort says stakeholders had testified in support of foregoing harvest to allow the runs to recover. The board passed her amendment, which created new escapement goals for both the early and late runs. It also increased the escapement necessary to open commercial fishing. And that's intended to ensure a strong start to escapement and enough to provide a decent and reasonable opportunity for subsistence harvest in that area. Um, we heard in public testimony that you know these these runs are very distinct. They are um, visibly distinct. They look different. They taste different. There's a lot of things that are different about them, and, and consequently they're used differently by subsistence users. Carlson Van Dort also said that Fish and Game didn't allow for enough time for the public to review what she called a, quote, wholesale tectonic change in the fisheries management. With help from Izzy Ross in Dillingham, I'm Corinne Smith in Homer. 
This weekend, the Vikings played their final conference basketball games of the season against the Wrangell Wolves. It was Wrangell's homecoming weekend, and Petersburg coaches Rick and Dino Brock say the crowds were excited to see the rival teams compete. I met with the coaches to break down Petersburg's performance. Friday was a strong night for the home team, with the Wolves beating the Vikings 52-49 to in overtime. Coach Rick walked me through the first game. We started the game pretty well. We were up, I believe, 8-3, to and then we didn't score for a good seven minutes of game time, I believe. So by the time we hit a basket, um, we were behind. Wrangelot scored a 16 to 4 in the second quarter. So we went in at halftime down 23 to 12. But then in the third quarter, we slowly just kind of kept getting ourselves back in the game. We outscored them 12 to 7 in the third quarter. So we were down six going into the fourth. I believe we got it to one possession with about four minutes to go, three minutes to go or so and kind of went back and forth, back and forth. We were down two, had the basketball and called a timeout, set up a play and Jack Engel hit a tough shot off a nice pass from Rick Compton. Jack had seven points in overtime, but uh, he was the only one that was able to score for us. So we found ourselves down three with less than 10 seconds to go and had two shots at the basket and missed both. The Lady Wolves were also victorious, beating the Lady Vikings 39 to 13. But Coach Dino says the Lady Vikings started out on the right foot. Friday's game, we started out a little slow offensively, dug ourselves a hole, and then just played hard and kind of worked our way back and forth, and the game just kind of went for a while. We figured out some things defensively, played well, especially the first half. On Saturday, both of Petersburg's teams fared better. The Vikings narrowly beat the Wolves 35-33. to Coach Rick says it was a hard-fought game. Saturday was one of those games that was just kind of back and forth the whole time. We still had too many turnovers. I believe we had four turnovers out of our first five possessions, but we were able to settle in and tie it at 8-8 eight eight at the end of the first quarter. Second quarter, we were able to really gain the momentum of the game, I felt, and they hit a tough three to finish the half. We were still up 21-15. Had a four-point lead going into the final quarter, and it kind of stayed that way, and we had a couple critical turnovers last minute. Wrangell was able to score and get themselves back within two, so hard-fought win, 35-33, defensive battle, not uh, fun to watch, but uh, yeah, successful weekend. The Lady Vikings lost a second time, but in a closer match than the first. The Lady Wolves beat them 51-21. to Coach Dino says the Lady Vikings were more aggressive in Saturday's game. Saturday we came out, the same kind of thing, started out a little slow. Over two quarters we played them even or a little bit ahead. Played real well offensively, especially in the second quarter. Moving the basketball, getting good looks at the basket. And then fourth quarter they got hot for a while and the game change but I thought that we played extremely hard both nights. This was the Vikings final conference game but the basketball season isn't over. Next Wednesday the teams will compete in regionals. From there they could move on to the state tournaments. In Petersburg I'm Shelby Herbert. Senator Jesse Bjorkman is taking up a long-fought setnet buyback bill in the Alaska legislature this session. Senate Bill 82, in, introduced by Bjorkman, uh, on Friday, February 24th, would give Cook Inlet Eastside Setnetters a chance to sell back their Setnet permits to the state. 
that would reduce the number of commercial set net fishermen on the east side of the inlet and give fishermen a chance to sell out of the fishery, which has been under stress for years among recurring closures and is becoming less and less economically viable for permit holders. The bill is a new version of legislation Peter McKitchy Machiki, pardon me, sponsored twice when he represented Soldatna in the Alaska Senate. Bjorkman, a fisherman with two current Cook Inlet drift permits, said over text Friday, it's the same bill with very minor differences. Previous versions of the bill have gotten wide support from set netters who say a buyback would create a more sustainable fishery for remaining fishermen. The program would be voluntary and fishermen would enter in a lottery. And permit holders first have to vote on whether they want such a program established and finding a funding mechanism. The permit would, the program would buy permits for about 2,200,000, dollars which is about 16 times their current value, according to data from the state. The Alaska Native Sisterhood elected a new grand president emeritus. Millie Schoonover lives in the Prince of Wales Island community of Craig and has a long history of service to both the Alaska Native Sisterhood and community organization. Reagan Miller has more in Ketchikan. Millie Schoonover joined the Alaska Native Sisterhood when she was 13. She's worn plenty of hats in her decades-long run with the Indigenous Civil Rights Group and now holds what the organization calls its highest elected position. ANS is my way of life. I've been an ANS member for so long. It's It's been very, at times, challenging, but more rewarding than challenging. Schoonover was elected Grand President Emeritus in February. She replaces the late Ethel Lund, who died last year. Schoonover has served as the president of local ANS camps in Petersburg, Seattle, and Klawak. When she was 18, she became the local camp president of Craig. Schoonover went on to become the Grand Sergeant at Arms, Grand Second Vice President, Grand First Vice President, and Grand President. Schoonover also has an impressive resume outside of ANS. She was elected as the first female Native Mayor of Craig in 2009 and was the Craig Tribal Association president for 20 years. Schoonover was a search board member. She also was the president and a board member for Craig's Village Corporation, Sean C., and was a delegate and executive council vice president for the Central Council of Klinka and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. She still serves on the Craig City Council, as well as Craig's Tribal Council and the Prince of Wales Community Advisory Council. Schoonover says her elders inspired her to join the sisterhood all those years ago and have guided her along the way. When I first became ANS Local president, I had many, 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 many awesome mentors. The elders are the ones that groom you for these different positions on the local level and the grand camp level. And now it's her turn. The grand president emeritus is an advisory role, mentoring and inspiring the next generation. On the receiving end of Schoonover's advice is ANS grand president Daphne Alvey. She's known Schoonover since childhood, and she says the new Grand President Emeritus has long been a source of counsel. And uh, just over the years, uh, she's just become a wonderful mentor, and, and uh, I go to her for a lot of advice and um, encouragement, and just uh, making sure that we stay on track.
LB says the sisterhood is benefiting from Schoonover's knowledge, patience, and experience in her new role. And she has a wonderful sense of humor. She is just, just so intelligent and just so caring. She truly loves the Alaska Native people. Schoonover says that in her new role, she's looking forward to sharing knowledge and experience with Indigenous leaders in the same way her elders did for her. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. The U.S. Army is proposing to replace Fort Wainwright's coal-fired heat and power plant with natural gas-fired boilers installed around the post. The Army must replace the 65-year-old power plant because it's unreliable and becoming prohibitively expensive to operate. Tim Ellis reports in Delta Junction. Army officials announced their proposed choice in a final environmental impact statement made public on February 10th. They considered building a $687 million replacement coal plant and a $363 million facility that would run on either diesel or natural gas. But they opted instead for the $117 million distributed natural gas-fired boilers alternative. The U.S. Army Garrison Alaska has identified that third alternative as the preferred alternative. Fort Wainwright Directorate of Public Works Operations and Maintenance Division Chief Jennifer Meyer says the Army can't yet say much about the natural gas system or the time frame in which it'll be built. But she says it'll likely take a while. Pretty much any Army construction project takes us several years to start to finish. The Post's old heat and power plant has been in service 30 years beyond its average design life, and it's become one of the Army's most expensive to operate. Post officials say it's broken down four times in recent years, and on one cold winter day in 2018, it was offline for several hours. The Army mission here is at some risk with a single source of heat that is that old. Former Fort Wainwright Utilities Privatization and Maintenance Division Chief Stephen Stringham said in 2019 that the breakdowns and fires at the plant convinced post officials that the facility and much of its steam heat distribution lines needed to be replaced. Their decision to convert to natural gas-fired heat will require a large volume of LNG to fuel it, and the Fairbanks-based Interior Gas Utility is interested in filling that demand. We are very excited to work with the Army in any capacity that might be needed. IGU spokesperson Elena Suddeth says the utility should be well positioned to supply the post due to a recently reached deal with Hillcorp Alaska and subsidiary Harvest to build a North Slope gas processing plant and truck the LNG that it produces there to Fairbanks. The initial facility is going to be 150,000 gallons a day and IGU needs about half of that to begin with. Um, so just the initial facility alone is going to have plenty of um, natural gas for Fort Wayne, right? The natural gas boilers would generate heat, but not electricity under the current proposal. So Fort Wainwright would have to buy more power from Golden Valley Electric Association to replace the 20 megawatts that the coal plant can produce. GVEA spokesperson Meadow Bailey says that would be in addition to the power the utility already provides to the post. Fort Wainwright is one of our larger customers. Bailey says if the Army seeks a new power sales agreement, Golden Valley officials would work to ensure it benefits all utility customers. We are, of course, a member-owned utility, and so we exist to meet the needs of all of our members, uh, residents and business, and this, of course, includes military installations. 
Meyer says Army officials will begin working on details like power purchases and LNG supply contracts after their decision to build the new facility is made final on March 13th. In Delta Junction, I'm Tim Ellis. You're listening to KFSK. That is all for our local and regional news. Up next, local and marine weather. 